Welcome to the Multitask. I'm John Moore. What's going on, guys? So the Trump administration, the Trump DOJ, has engaged in in something that they used to get upset when all these Pfizer warrants were coming out from Carter Page and everything else. They actually have gone ahead and started checking out the uh, email files and, and basically the iPhones and and even some Androids of uh, many members of the House, Democratic members of the House of Representatives. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first, before I say my thoughts, do you know if this was um, legal or not? I assume, like, how much of this was just legal? Um, I think it, it's really weird because I it got a judge's approval. So it had to have yeah. been, quote, unquote, legal. I think it's a question of whether or not it's appropriate, right? And, and and appropriate by the standards that are that that they apply that that you know would be normal standard operating procedure um i mean it's weird because i know some people are, democrats are calling for people's heads but if it was codified by judges i'm not sure you know other than people losing their jobs i don't know if anyone can go to jail for this is what i'm saying yeah yeah here's i have a few takes on this one, it's important to point out that this is coming out now because the gag order was in place. So there was Microsoft and iPhone, Apple, they couldn't actually say anything about this until the gag order was essentially expired, which happened, I guess, the day that this was leaked or whatever. The other thing is like Adam Schiff was the name that was brought up and then Swalwell was the name that was brought up. Um, those to me aren't coincidence. Those were two very, very anti-Trump uh, people who were criticizing him throughout the Trump administration. So him and Schiff obviously went at it on Twitter a bunch of times. So this wasn't a coincidence. But I'm going to take this into a different realm, and I'm going to put I'm going to put this on you because I'm part of the cynical kind of younger generation, and you're part of the like Democrats know what they're doing. Just give them space, let them do it. I just want hearings, even if there's nothing wrong here. I just want lots of hearings, and let me tell you why. Even if nothing comes from them. Because what they did to Hillary, and here's why that's important. Even though nothing came from Hillary, I don't think their intention was to put Hillary behind bars. If they were going to find something, they were going to find something. They never did, though. They kept on it because they knew Hillary was a front runner for 2016. And so when you're able to sow doubt into people's minds that early, when you just see Hillary testifying over and over and over, Look, I come from a neighborhood where if we just saw you around cops, then we just we might have thought something. So if you're just continuing to be around cops, we're just going to have an idea about you, right? So that's the idea with Hillary is this idea that if they just kept her on TV, kept her in trouble, even though she wasn't actually in trouble, then they'll sow doubt in people's minds. There was a lot of people in 2016 who didn't vote for Hillary because they didn't trust her, and they had no idea why. They had no idea about Benghazi. Look, I'm into politics. I still kind of half know what happened in Benghazi. So if we could just bring Barr back, bring Trump, bring whoever was involved back and put them on TV, even if nothing comes from it, that's what I want to see. Well, you know, uh, both um, Schumer and Durbin have called for hearings and they're going to. Yeah. And, and they're going to they're going to they're going to go ahead and they're going to um, uh, subpoena. Uh, uh, they, they've threatened both sessions and Barr with a subpoena. So I th I don't think you're going to have a problem in the call for hearings. I think where we might run into problems is will they play hardball if those guys don't participate, if they don't agree right, right out of the box to, to you know, 
that's the that's what we need to see is the hardball. And I'd, I'd also be very interested to see if um, if if the uh, House does hearings as well. And somebody said, you know, what's really important though is even if Barr and Sessions kind of mess around and try to get out of it, the reality is is that there's many career people in the DOJ that are still there, and they could probably be compelled to 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 tell. Because here's the question. I want to I want to drag Barr. I want to drag Sessions, but would you rather Barr and Sessions get up and be evasive, or would you rather have some career person hauled in front of them who basically says, "Oh yeah, this is what we did, and this is why we did it"? Um, that might be easier. You might it might not be the big name that we want, but um, but but the information that we get might be more damaging than anything that Barr or Sessions would tell us. Yeah, but but again, my whole thing is I don't even care about the information. Look, we had a whole impeachment trial that nobody really, the Republicans didn't partake in, right? So it was just about, can we keep them on TV and keep them looking in a place that's vulnerable? That's what I kind of want right now. Um, what I was going to put on you is this question of, there's a lot of people who are like, nothing's going to come from this. We're still trying to pass infrastructure. We never got the January 6th commission. Now Pelosi's going to try to do something on her own. Like, do we have time for all this stuff? And my question to you becomes, how is the next generation of people not supposed to be cynical? When it's like, we showed up, we got you guys a majority. It's not a real majority, right? Because Mansion and Cinema, blah, 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 right? It's not a real majority, but we got you the best we could. But we're still, not, you're still saying, oh, we just can't do everything. And it's like, I get that you can't do everything. Then what are we? What's the solution here? Like, is the system broken? Do we like? Where's this? Are we supposed to get in politics if we can't go and do something? Like Pelosi, Schumer, Biden, Kamala—they're all very, very smart people. It's not like these people are in, inadequate or inept. You know what I mean? So the cynicism from our our generation becomes: we did everything we could as people. We put the right people there. And it's like we're still fighting tooth and nail for barely wins. What what's the solution here? You know, what are we supposed to do? Well, well, you bring up a good subject, and you bring up a good point, and it kind of segues into the next subject. And it I want to talk a little bit about Garland and some of the things he's doing at the DOJ, yeah. especially it relates to the um, that one uh, defamation suit. Um, I I you know, there's a lot of older folks who are saying you know he's going too far. But I think what Garland's trying to do is trying to get back to how things are supposed to be. And what's really tough is, and it goes back to what I've told you before, that's the problem between Republican and Democrats. Republicans are saying, we'll say, damn the rules, and we're just going to do things a certain way. Democrats are going to say, no, we need to go ahead and protect the institution. We need to protect the rules. And I, and I bring that all up to say that <coughs> one of the challenges that 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 I think we have, and it's something that I think younger people who are cynical, I kind of can excuse their cynicism, but I can also be offended that they're not necessarily learning how things are supposed to be. And what I mean by that is, um, I definitely am hearing from a lot of wise, um, former DOJ lawyer types that I see on TV that Garland is going too far, but they still talk about how what he's trying to do, though, is he's not arguing on behalf of Trump. He's protecting the presidency, and it's important that the presidency, regardless of who the president is, be protected, right? So um, 
I say that all to say, I see that people want stuff to happen, but they have to still realize that there's rules. Like, do you know one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why when a police officer does something bad, they don't get immediately fired? Does anyone know? Is it that the that the mayor or the superintendent is backing that behavior? Or is it that there are contractual rules and statutory rules that oftentimes prohibit an immediate firing, right? So you can sit there and you can protest outside of a mayor's house or a superintendent's house and be pissed that this person's not fired. But the reality is, is that there are usually, there's usually a, a, a labor contract and some type of laws that prohibit the immediate, the, 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 um, immediate expulsion of someone, right? So... I understand that people get frustrated, and I definitely and I definitely do think that sometimes the Democrats, within their discretion, not the rules, within their discretion, play a little bit too nice or a little bit too fair. I I, I will I will I will see you that. But at the end of the day, the reality is, is just because we want something to happen a certain way, doesn't mean that that's the best way for it to happen. Does that does that make any sense? It makes perfect sense. Uh, um, my counter argument would be that there's there's people who here's i think it's a two-step problem the first problem is going back to the garland and the defamation suit thing i saw what happened i clicked the article i read he's not arguing for trump he's arguing um for the next 20 years of whoever the president is is in theory he's arguing the fact that this is legally allowed to happen on some level right but the problem is the headline says Garland defends Trump in court. So part of the problem here is the media and how we write headlines, how things go viral and the algorithms on social media. Majority of people, that's a Washington Post article that says Trump is defended by Biden's DOJ. Most people don't have a Washington Post subscription. So they're going to see the title. They're going to keep scrolling on their timeline and that's all they're going to feel. So I, I give you that. There's a lot of people who aren't understanding the nuance here. But there's the other half of us who are saying if the if Democrats are just trying to make it how the rules are, then like we're kind of done with the rules. And the, we don't want anarchy and we don't want this. But it's like, look, we gave you the majority and we're still being ineffective. So let's get rid of the filibuster. Let's get rid of the Electoral College that kind of – didn't do their job in 2016. Like we want to change the rules to progress this country. We cannot, it feels like the rules are set up to one guy to do one thing and the next guy to take back everything. And then the next guy to do the fourth, four years of this. And the next guy to take back the four years. If the checks and balances work, but they work to a default because now we're struggling as a country and we're not able to make change to progress. So I, I see what you're saying. Like part of it is the problem of like, Garland isn't defending Trump in court, even though kind of people kind of feel that way. Part of that is the media and the algorithms and stuff like that. So that, that is a problem. But the other half of the problem is, why is Joe Manchin affecting the voters of Georgia? And so can we change that? How can we change that? There's a, there was a big push this week. It's not on the prep, but it's a big push this week to get rid of the Senate, like just to get rid of the whole thing in general. You know what I mean? So that's what this next generation cares about. They're not, they're not dumb. They do want change and they do want drastic change. And that's not going to happen. I always look to what Barack said. Sorry, I'm going on a rant here, but Barack, Barack used to say, democracy is a process. It's just, you got to keep at it. It's like exercise. You have to just literally go out and run every single day. Um, 
but look, we've, we are running every single day. This feels like we're not getting anywhere. So that's where I feel like a lot of frustration comes from. Right. And you know, one of the things that, um, and I had a few friends or people I work with and I've had this discussion is one of the things that, um, I realized about that. I realized this week about mansion and, and cinema to a certain extent. And one of my friends or acquaintances or contacts who is more close to the situation uh, than I am said, you know, one of the things that we have to be very careful with when it comes to Mansion is what do you think happens if we press too hard? What's the one thing that Mansion can do and he can do overnight and it changes the game in a very negative way for us? What's that one thing he could do? I guess he could switch parties, yeah. Exactly. And 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 the thing is, is as much as we want done, uh, it was uh, Manu Raja from CNN pointed out that for people who think that okay he doesn't make a difference, um, if if every all things being equal, if you still had this tie, but uh, Mitch McConnell was the was the majority leader, uh, it would be a completely different ball game. Um, that again, that doesn't excuse. I mean, we've got a press mansion. But, I mean, I do think, though, that at some point in time, we have to come to grips with the fact that Manchin and possibly Cinema could just, at some point, if we hit them the wrong way, can just say, screw you guys, I'm going to the other party. And the reality is, even though it would be deadlocked, uh, that would be ten times worse than anything we're dealing with now. Um, it's it's it, and, and I'm sure people will say, oh, they can do that? Yeah, they can do that. We did that. There was a guy by the name of Arlen Specter, who was a Republican, who uh, I think Bush pissed him off, and he went ahead and became a Democrat. He was a, he was a United States senator. He was he was a center right Democrat, but he but but gave the power to to um, Harry Reid, right? So um, it's it, it's weird because I I understand what you're saying, and I do think it's a generational thing. Um, and I do think that the younger generation has done a very good job of pushing us and helping us reimagine stuff. But at the end of the day, um, there's still some realities that have to be overcome, uh, no matter how much you want to reimagine the way things are going to be. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a millennial, but I'm, I'm, I'm on the higher end of that, right? I'm closer to the the previous generation that I am the next generation so I'm I'm kind of in the middle here I, I understand politics enough to know that this is the process and we have to go through the process but the the problem becomes if you lose in 2022 and then Biden becomes ineffective and then they start passing rules that you lose in 2024 it's like if you want voters to vote, then you got to have to protect the voters in some level. Here's, here's where I stand on mansion. And, and it's, it's very, very complex, but we talked about this at the beginning of the year when Biden was inaugurated. What, what is he at the, what is he in the Senate for? Is he to push what he thinks is best? Is he to push what's the best for West Virginians or is he to push what the, the president wants to push? Right. I say that because, we saw some polls this week from West Virginians, 80% wanted to pass the John uh, Lewis voting rights bill. I think 75% wanted to get rid of the Philip or whatever it was, right? There's polls that say West Virginians want what we want too. 
So what is Joe Manchin doing? I think Joe Manchin got in trouble this week because, by the way, John, he didn't say, I don't want to get rid of the filibuster. He said, I'm not even going to vote for this bill. Like, he wouldn't even vote for it. So it's like, okay, if you're going to switch parties, what's the difference? You're still fighting us on everything anyways. I know the difference is McConnell and Schumer. I get it. But if you're threatening to go to the other side, I'm not saying he is. It's a hypothetical. If you're threatening to go to the other side, we don't feel the difference here. So if if 75% of West Virginians are going to not vote for you in the next election, then whatever. You're not going to be in the office anyway. So I guess my problem with Manchin isn't that he's doing what he's doing. It's that who is he doing it for? Because Biden's the president, and you're supposed to help push the president's agenda. You're not supposed to try to stop it for the sake of stopping it. So that's my only problem is I don't know what his motive is. Because it's not for West Virginians, and it's not for us. So who is it actually for? Right. Well, I think one of the challenges that we have is that, again, as and I, and I sound like a broken record, as Democrats, we have a much bigger tent than the Republicans. Yeah. And 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 the thing is, and and I think you know a few people have said it. Um, We'd love to get rid of a Joe Manchin. Just show me a Democrat that can win West Virginia, and we'll sign right up for that. But and 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 you know, I think one of the things that we have to do, should we be fortunate enough to 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 to, to grow the majority in twenty two, is to make both Manchin and Cinema, you know, irrelevant, right? You know, to take to take away their power. Um, but the reality is, is they still have that power, and it's got to be contended with. Um, you know, someone said the funny thing is, is that he still pretty much, um, when it comes to votes, he votes with Biden. It's just that he's, you know, is he, what's he doing to allow more votes to be made? Right. Meaning, you know, yeah. he, he, you know, um, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be tough, but you know, one of the things that happened this week was they actually came out and said that, you know, it doesn't look like there's going to be any kind of, um, a bipartisan deal for infrastructure. So I'll be fascinated to see if we'll really play that hand, right? If we'll force that hand. Um, you know, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. But the other thing though that I, I wanted to get back to about Manchin, and it's something I heard and it was funny because um the the woman and I forget her name, she was on MSNBC this week or last week. Um, and she's a, a center or mod, she's either a moderate Republican or, 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 or true independent. Um, uh, A.B. Stoddard uh, was on MSNBC and she said part of the problem right now with the voting legislation is it is actually weak sauce. Like we're getting really pissed at Manchin, but we're getting pissed at Manchin more on a principal argument. But at the end of the day, given some of the hijinks that have been done in some of these states, she wonders if it's if what we're really upset that he's not supporting is worth us being upset about from the standpoint of would it be really effective in fighting what's going on? And that blew my mind, right? I don't know enough about the issue, so I'm not gonna say she's right or she's wrong. But I thought that was fascinating because she's like, the worst part about this is this is not a good bill. And what's so funny is, she was on with someone who obviously was more left than her, and that person did not necessarily contradict her. Did not really address what she said, but it, but you know, while with me, it definitely was a whoa, wait a minute, 
and he, uh, I think Eugene Robinson was the other uh, the other um, panelist at the time, and he kind of glossed over it, which makes me think there might be a little bit there. Have, had, are, are you familiar with some of the faults and that that she might be talking about? Have you heard anything similar? I I, I haven't heard anything similar, but um, the only thing I would say to that is is unless are you trying to paint the idea that is this worth fighting for? Now, is this where we want to plant our flag in the soil? Is that what the kind of the message yeah, she, was? She, she, she's, saying, she's saying is, she, she's saying that the bill needs to be much better. And not better from the standpoint of making Republicans happy, but be more effective in addressing the realities that we're facing before we go to the match. She's saying that you're going to go through all this mess and, 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 and take Manchin and possibly take him out over a bill at the end of the day is not going to be as effective as it needs to be to neutralize what's going on. That was what, again, I don't know if she's right or she's wrong, but she her argument was, right. why are you laying it all on the field for something that at the end of the day is still not going to do what needs to be done? That was that was her argument. Have, have you heard anything like that? I haven't. Uh, I know there's two. There's HR1 and then there's the John Lewis. I, I know there's different things that have been floated. So I understand that we're, we might not necessarily be in agreement on what's the best power play moving forward. The only thing I would say to that is, look, the, the stimulus was like, from what I understand, Biden had to call Joe Manchin and kind of be like, yo, cut to shit. Like, we got to get this done. Joe Manchin didn't like the idea of the, the $1,400 stimulus checks. Um, like, I guess what I'm saying is like, this is the easy stuff. Like, we all had this fantasy world of like, DC statehood and universal income and free college debt and all this stuff. But like, if we can't even get the easy stuff passed, then this is almost a litmus test for all that other stuff, right? We saw Joe Manchin already say, I'm not voting for DC statehood. It's like, what do you have to do with DC? You're in West Virginia. You know, it's like, that's, that's what I'm, I, I understand her point, but our point is if we can't even do this, then there's no even point of bringing up the hard stuff because then it's really never going to work, you know? So that would be my only counter to her is if this is not good enough, then are we to even pass the good enough stuff, you know? Well, I, well here's, the, here's the thing, though. I think one of the challenges, and I'd love to, you know, there's some folks I know who might be able to even give us more insight on this, is I wonder how much of the effective legislation that's out there that doesn't necessarily become the flavor of the month or the, the, the one that we're all chiming in on, I wonder how much of that stuff gets passed. And are we also chasing shite briny objects? I mean, uh, bright, shiny objects. I think I call it shite briny. Uh, but bright, shiny objects um, that um, sometimes are a big deal. But, you know, will they really make a difference? And so, I mean, I do want to take a deep dive. I... I still think that, you know, Manchin's being a jerk. I think we need to do something. But I'd really be fascinating to know, you know, how, do other people agree with her that, you know, whether or not, you know, that the, you know, it could be, it, it might not be as effective as it needs to be. Like I say, her her thinking was, you know, like when gun laws, they'll say, um, the, the far right will say, well, tell me what gun law would stop that shooting, right? right. I think she's kind of taking that same approach to this legislation is that, um, it might not necessarily have been the most, this bill might not necessarily address what we really truly need addressed. And I, I mean, here's a, you talked about people being cynical. 
how angry would it be if we went ahead and we got Mansion to vote for it? And because it might feel play out the way that A.B. Stoddard said, they still did some BS. Because we, we're, am I right? Isn't it kind of being sold right now that like passing this bill would put a stop to the BS? So could you imagine if the bill gets passed, yeah. gets signed, and they still pull some crap because we didn't address it in this bill? That would really make people, so what would be worse? Not passing a damn bill and getting really pissed or passing the bill and seeing that it's not as effective as we need it to be to stop the BS. No, you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It, it, it would be really unfortunate to pass a bill that's ineffective. Um, but I, I go back to my point. If we want to do the hard stuff, the, the hard stuff is impossible if we can't even get the easy stuff. You know, we really need federal laws to say everybody gets a ballot in the mail regardless. Uh, national holiday for Election Day. A uh, certain amount of polling booths in in every single county per capita, like all that stuff is like, all right, if we can't even get this stuff passed then that stuff's not really going to pass. I, I do agree. We, we need aggression and we need some stronger bills here. Um, but how, how do we get there? Like, how do we get there without, um, by the way, like the 60 vote thing is just outrageous. Like we don't need 60 votes to pass a, a Supreme court justice for life. You know what I mean? Like it's really starting to get to the point where Republicans are rigging the game and it's starting to become extremely frustrating. I think what I think the best, the best thing we can get out of Manchin and Cinema, as it relates to the filibuster, is maybe get them back to where they can at least take take the rules to go back to where you have to have the talking filibuster, right? Where you literally yeah. have to, you know, wear diapers on on the floor, and and and, and you know, and and the delay. But you know, right now it's just something where you can literally just say, "Oh, we're not ending debate," and the debate doesn't end, and and you don't have to do any anything i think i think that's where i don't know has Manchin said anything about how he feels about the talking filibuster where okay we keep the filibuster but you actually have to filibuster as opposed to just you know uh you know not getting the 60 votes has, has there been any you know if there's been any talk i Manchin? haven't heard anything related to that no i will defend him for one second there was an article over the last 10 days i'm sure you've seen it He's not the only one. He's just the only one that's taken the arrows, right? Uh, from what I understand, there's about 10, 11 moderate Democrats who are kind of in red, purple, blue districts that feel the same way, but they're just letting Joe Manchin take the sh- take the heat for it. Um, I-, I get it. He's not our only problem, you know what I mean? Um, and he's he's overall a a, a plus in the, in the column because he, he gets his control, but... Um, and I bet you where, where that gets where that's probably definitely a, a, a thing that he's doing is he probably knows that the, the makeup of West Virginia, what he's doing is not going to cost him his seat. Yeah. He in some of those other moderates, if their if their true feelings came out, they might get primaried and lose. Right, so 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 yeah. so so he 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 could literally make, take one for a team. I think I told you about there was a situation recently or in the last couple of years in the House where there was a certain leader who was uh, engaged in a certain battle, but that leader was really engaged in a battle with another member, strictly to keep everybody from 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 wilding out. And 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 so I will tell you, and I and you know I obviously know some folks on the Hill. I just wonder, like, how different this is on the Hill. 
right? Are there people in, you know, both the elected officials and their staffs who are pissed at Manchin, but they also kind of understand his game a lot better than we do, right? And 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 I, I it's it's a it's a very fascinating place. The the House, the the, the Capitol Hill, both in the House and Senate, is like a, a a world that you know the little bit I've seen, the little inside I've seen. I can tell you that you know it's it's very easy for us to to Monday morning quarterback what they do, but I mean, but you know, un, unlike with the, but I always said though, unlike with the the NFL team that you and I support, um, we we really can't necessarily help uh, our new guy Justin Fields win a game, but you know we can potentially help you know our our elected officials win or lose or even get bills passed. So, I mean, it, it is a little bit more participatory. But, you know, that brings me to a, a, a another piece here. Um, my my girl was attacked this week. My girl meaning my vice president. I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't call her my girl anymore because she is the vice president of the United States. But yeah. um, she got a, she, 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 the far left came at her, the far right came at her. Um, I thought she had an okay week. But, oh, boy, the headlines have not been friendly to her. And as I said, you know, some people, the, the, the headlines from the far left are that she's too moderate, she's very uncaring, she's dispassionate. And the headlines from the far right are she's not doing enough and she's ineffective. Uh, what was your take on on, on MVP's, Madam Vice President's uh, trip uh, down south this, this week? Yeah, she, she definitely caught some friendly fire this week. Um for people who don't know, she basically was in Guatemala and made a speech and the only soundbite that came from it was, don't come here. Please don't come. We will send you back. Um, that was out of context in the whole kind of speech that she was making. Um, we talked about it on Twitter and here, here's what I'll say. People are going to react to the soundbite and that's just unfortunate. You're in politics. That's what happens, Right. Um, maybe that's why a lot of the times I listen to a lot of the Pod Save America guys who talk about the speech writing from Barack, where they had to really be careful because they knew what was going to get taken out of context and what wasn't going to get taken out of context. Um, not that she shouldn't say that. Um, the other flip, flip side of that is, so for people who don't know, she was criticized for saying don't come when America says come in other places, you know what I mean? Um, the other flip side of that is someone broke it down to me and said, if she were to say, guys, everybody's welcome to come over, the amounts of people that would come would be um, ineffective because we wouldn't be able to handle them at the border and handle them. There would be violence and there would just be too much of an influx. So she, she can't come out and say come. But I think the criticism of her saying don't come was pretty – pretty fair in the sense that like what is our principle here are we open to people or are we not open to people are we open to people maybe not now because we're trying to fix everything and maybe later or are we open to people once we kind of get your situation like we're going to help guatemala and help mexico kind of stabilize so I, I guess what i'm saying is like um i'm not i'm not against criticism for from her I, as long as it's accurate the criticism from the far right is just racist and sexist and all that stuff i don't i don't really care for that but look if she said don't come and it got taken out of context and she's gonna have to redress it so um i don't know if the, i don't know if that answers your question but i thought well, it was I, mean, I, I thought I, it was fair I, criticism. 
I would dare say, I didn't think it was fair because it was bad faith. It was bad faith criticism. Because because any time that, that there's a full clip and, okay, let me give you a perfect example. A perfect example, and I'm glad people called it out. AOC was one of the people leading the damn charge in this, right? Ilan Omar said some messed up stuff around Israel. AOC went in on the people who came at Ilhan in bad faith. But the bad faith that they delivered to Ilhan was no different than the bad faith that she delivered to AO, to, to MVP. So the, so the reality is, is that I don't, and, and, and the thing is, and it goes back to Obama, what the problem with the criticism on the left of what Obama and, and now the Biden slash Harris administration is, the problem with it, and it's kind of like the same thing that we do with when it comes to policing and Black Lives Matter and all that other stuff, is that there are not any realities that don't go to the favor of the left that the left acknowledges that the leaders have to deal with, right? That, that, they, that, that they think that everything is in the world that they, the way they see it, and they don't understand the pressures that the leaders are under. They don't understand the fact that, look, the reality is, is that we're trying to do some things that are going to make it easier for people. They could, they could apply for asylum in the country. They, you know, I think there's an argument about the fact that it is dangerous. It's it's a dangerous trip, and people die and all that other stuff. They just look for a credit. They look for something at an angle. So, I I don't think that the administration is above criticism from the left, but I also think that the for the for the the minute that you throw nuance and understanding in, it's it's harder to be as sensational in your criticism. Would you agree? That 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 if I mean, even I if, you, if, if 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 you're gonna if you're gonna criticize, and and still criticize but make some acknowledgments, then that criticism isn't as biting. It's no less valid, but it doesn't. You know, it, it, it So I I do think that you know I it, it was frustrating for a lot of Harris fans in the social media space to see AOC come at her that way, and then when people were coming for Ilhan in a very similar manner for her to basically criticize them for coming at her. They were both wrong. I don't think Ilhan deserved it, but the reality is is that AOC is being very disingenuous, in, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I understand your argument for sure. Um, when I said the criticism is fair, I guess is we could we could criticize her if if the venue allows for it, like if it's fair and if it's, the right kind of criticism. I, I do agree with you there. Um, the only thing I would say to you is, as far as what you said, is um, yes, I think there's nuance there. But the nuance, I've talked about this before. I really do believe in it. Um, I think that when AOC does stuff like that, it's it's not necessarily to to get something done if that makes sense. Sometimes we watch a sport called baseball. Sometimes you argue balls and strikes knowing you're not going to get them overturned, but you're hoping that in the seventh, eighth inning, that your argument in the first inning kind of affects the umpire in a right way. So what I say about AOC and Ilhan and kind of the, all the criticism that come from the left is 
sometimes it's there to keep us honest. Sometimes it's just there to keep us in the game, to keep us pushing. And it might be disingenuous and it might be unfair. But like I said, sometimes the manager, you're in a slump. The manager goes out, gets tossed from the game for the sake of of his team, just to fire him up, just to show people like, look, we're in this. We got to keep fighting. We got to keep pushing. So uh, it's not that I I, I want to criticize for AOC for criticizing MVP. I guess what I'm saying is sometimes I don't see that as you're saying it was disingenuous. I don't think that it, she thought it was it was genuine, if that makes sense. She might have just did it for the sake of saying, I'm going to keep you honest. Right, but here's one difference. Here's one difference between, and your analysis is good, but for one, one element. They're not working the refs. They're creating dissension in the locker room. You have to realize that when, when you're thinking about, the, you, you're not dealing with refs here. You're dealing with the locker room. You're dealing with, with the Democratic locker room. And there's a completely different uh, element there than, you know, working the refs. If you're dealing with maybe uh, uh, the Republicans or we're dealing with the media, but in this particular case, you're messing with the locker room. And you and I both know someone can go out there and score a, a, a ton of points, but if they create, you know, chaos in the locker room that get in the way of us winning and make us vulnerable, it doesn't matter how many points they score because we didn't win the game. A toxic locker room is a toxic locker room. So so I agree with the analogy, but in this particular case, is 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 are Harris and Biden the refs or Harris and Biden part of the locker room, right? You know, you know, we're, 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 you know. I'll push, I'll, I'll run with your analogy or my analogy even further. Sometimes you're right. A, a toxic locker room is, is a team killer for sure. Um, there's a difference though. Sometimes when you watch a football game or a base basketball game, the LeBron or the, the, the alpha on the team might come out and be like, you know, I thought we played soft tonight, but he's not talking about him. He's talking about somebody in the locker room, but he can't say the name. So he'll say, I thought we as a team were soft tonight. And that person listens to it and knows he's talking about him. And that person's going to step up the next game. So yes, I don't think Kamala and Biden are refs. I think they're the, I think they're the LeBron and Anthony Davis of the Democratic team, but I also think that it's it's to keep the honest locker room to say, "Hey, I know what you kind of mean here, but it's disingenuous to come out and say don't come when our policy is to say come." So I guess what I'm saying is like, she she's saying it for Kamala, but she's saying it for everybody at the same time. So yeah. if, if that helps, okay. the, it helps. I'm, I'm gonna go one further. AOC is not LeBron. <laughs> She's that she's that no. she's that second year player who could potentially be traded to, to Golden State next year <laughs> for a player to be named later. I mean, in this particular instance, Pelosi, Schumer, uh, Biden, and Harris—that's that's your you know. They're, yeah, they're, yeah they're, I got they're, you. They're, you know, they're they're. they're that's Jordan Pippen and, and Rodman right there, you know? <laughs> yeah, but one last thing. AOC is not LeBron. But AOC is the Rodman in the sense. Like, she's the one that's diving for balls. She's the one that's going to get in a fight for them, too. You know what I mean? So, in that sense, what I'm saying is, like, everybody has a role. Everybody has a role. Kamala's role was to go down there, help the situation. Biden's role is to do this. This person's role is to do this. 
AOC's role to me is to keep them honest on some level. It might come off wrong and it might be bad sometimes. Don't get me wrong. You know what I mean? It might cause problems in the house. I totally agree with you. But she's there for a reason. I'd rather have that on my team than Joe Manchin, to be honest. Because I don't know. When Joe Manchin goes up there, I don't know if he's really pitching for me. <laughs> AOC's Kyrie Irving throwing the ball away in Cleveland. Remember? And, and, and and that that created the meme when, when LeBron's looking at him. AOC's Kyrie Irving in Cleveland. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Kyrie's still in the playoffs. LeBron is So... <laughs> Yeah, but in Cleveland, he almost cost him the championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I just said Kyrie in Boston or wherever the hell he's playing. I said Kyrie. I, I said Kyrie. Where, where is Kyrie this year? Is he with with the Nets? Where, he's in Brooklyn. He's in Brooklyn. Yeah, he's in Brooklyn. Yeah, but no, Ky- yeah. AOC is Kyrie in Cleveland. Okay, uh, hell of a know, player though. <laughs> hell, hell of a player. You know, just pass some legislation. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Uh, Uh, but um uh you know one of the things that i I think is interesting though too is uh as we get ready for 22 um all the democrats that are looking at different jobs and um i i think a person i'm a fan of i know you're a fan of uh val demings announced formerly her run for uh, the Senate against Rubio. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, that was expected. I, I know there were some rumors that she might go for governor, um, but I, I always thought she was going to go after the Rubio seat. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, Val Demings came in second on the on the VP list. I thought she was going to, if Kamala maybe declined or didn't want, or whatever the situation might be, I think they were going to go with Val Demings. Um, I'm glad, as we talked about it privately, I'm glad Val Demings leaned into the police stuff. We're, we're seeing the, that maybe potentially in 2020 to defund the police might have hurt some Democrats in some kind of swing districts. So I'm glad Val Demings is like, not only was I a police officer, I was the police chief. So it's like, so I'm, I'm, I hope that's working. I loved her ad. It was in Spanish subtitles with English. Obviously, the big Latino base in, in Florida. Um, Rubio's tough, though. He's not. He's not a rookie. He's not. He's a. He, he knows what he's doing down there, especially in Florida. Um, I think he took the blunts of the Trump kind of attacks when he was running for president, and absorbed them and kind of leaned into the Trump stuff. And I think he's all the way there with DeSantis. So uh, it's going to be a hard, hard um, fight. But remember, like. Andrew Gillum almost won there. Um, it, it, like Florida can be won. It's just you're going to have to really take the right candidate. I think Val Demings is the right one. Well, and I mean, I think what we'll have to see, though, too, is what, you know, how much Trump will play a role in this. Um, mm-hmm. Because here's the funny thing is, I, you know, obviously you got DeSantis who, who beat Gillum and, you know, they the Republicans have, have kind of kept the state red, but Val might be able to 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 rally some folks. Val and, and I think without Trump on the ballot, I'm not sure how effective Trump is not on the ballot, right? Um, and you know, there's still, in my opinion, I think you may share, there's still a legitimate chance that Trump may be facing legal troubles that will really undermine his ability to go ahead and help Republicans up and down the ballot. Um, I'm excited about it. Um, I mean, she's so well polished. She she's got she's got a very great command of she commands rooms. I've been in a few rooms with her, and she she commands a room real, real well. Um, and I think that uh, you know, people. 
I see, first of all, she's not going to have a hard time raising money. You saw that. I think just her ad alone yeah. raised a million bucks. Um, yeah. I think, you know, uh, I, I know she's not in it to lose. And um, I hope this, I hope that, and I'm going to be very uh, selfish for Democrats. I hope that her seat is a, is a safe blue seat. So whoever steps up to run for her uh, congressional seat, you know, can win. But no, I'm excited. I, I think um, potentially having a third um, African-American female in the Senate would be huge. And coming from Florida, that would be huge. And uh, picking off Rubio would be great. I still am bullish. You know, I mean, we do have to be very careful about the voting laws and redistricting. But um, I am very bullish still about our chances in 22. I mean, you put it this way. If we did not have to deal with the screwed up voting laws, and if we did not have to deal with potential gerrymander, I definitely think that the Democrats would reverse the the midterm trend. I think those two things make it harder to reverse the midterm trend, but I still think that we have a better than a, a slightly better than fifty percent chance to reverse the midterm trend. I I, I agree. I, I'm not worried about the voter laws as much as I'm worried about them just saying them just declaring a winner like what is going to stop this i don't know how much the census controls or the election board controls but like what if val Demings just actually wins and they're just like no nah, no thanks and they just give like we're at that point now this is not i'm not being hyperbole or exaggerating like we're at the point where now where some of these legislators are going to start taking things in their own hands um i don't know if that's going to happen in 2022 i just hope that um we don't take them lightly. That's all I can say. I hope Val Demings doesn't take that lightly. I don't think she will. She seems like she's on the ball for sure. Um, I'm sure she got vetted for the VP for sure. So she's been through that process a little bit. So um, I, I think she's the right candidate for the right time. I just I don't think she's going to be passive, if that makes sense. Well, and put it this way. Um It's and this is the thing that I think advantage that Kamala's got. And I mean, I I, I saw somebody say something on, on social media the other day about uh, the K Hive is ready to basically you know go to war go to war on behalf of Al Demings. Um, I do think that Rubio has to be very careful because he's never run against a black woman, and I yeah. think I, I think that there are certain games that he would play with a white male and even a black male that he could not necessarily play with a black woman and especially someone as, as sharp and whip smart and not willing to back down like Val. Um, and you know, I wanted to sort of say, I sort of want to come in with that whole, I ain't got nothing to lose type thing. Right. Um, if she's able to, and I, and I, I, if she's able to basically run straight into it without much of a primary of any, and can just literally spend the next year, year and a half, just teeing off on Rubio. Um, I can even see a scenario where Rubio would just find an out not to run. Um, I, I, but I do think here's the thing, and you and I, um, we've talked about you know some stuff as far as working for for some candidates. But I also think that maybe we need to start you know following the in the in the in the shoes of a Midas Touch or something, just creating some content that supports not only, you know, like a Demings and attacking Rubio, but I just, I mean, I really think it's time for 
I think it's time for the party to do stuff, but I think it's time for Democratic voters to crowdsource, right? To crowdsource and to, and to take some matters into their own hands and just, do, you know, people in Florida just need to do everything. One, to get Val elected, but two, also to just make Rubio just be so toxic. And we need to do that here in Illinois. Um, you know, we we should definitely win both the governor's mansion and, and keep the Senate seat. Um but I'd love to go ahead. You know, right now the the belief is that the new maps will be drawn with fourteen Democratic districts and three Republican districts. How great would it be to knock it even down further than that? Um, but I hope that there's enough energy um, out there to really, you know, kind of do what we need to do to protect Democrats, not just in not just um, Val Demings in Florida against Rubio, but throughout the country. Yeah, you're right. Right, like. Rubio can't play the law and order card with somebody like Val Demings with her history, obviously. And a lot of Republicans like to do that, obviously. Um, but you can't with her, which is great. I think she's a strong, strong candidate. Um, I just, to your point about them, like helping her from not from Florida, like I think we did in Georgia. Like, a lot of people donated to Georgia and a lot of people paid attention to the runoffs because the stakes were so high. I think a lot of people are looking at Florida DeSantis and Rubio as gets. Look, you might be able to knock off somebody in a different state, but Rubio and DeSantis, the Trump loyalist, remember Trump has a vote if he's not in jail. He has a vote in that in that primary because he's a Florida voter. So um, it's just interesting. I think it helps us, energize us, knowing that they're Trump loyalists. So I think it's going to help us out in that way. Yeah, I just said one thing out and – I mean, we definitely want to make sure that people win elsewhere. But I also think the one thing that's always concerned me um, is I want people, Democrats throughout the country, progressives throughout the country, to hold their own people down. I mean, is yeah. it what is it what does it mean if we go ahead and we rah rah Shiskumba and put a lot of money and effort into getting Val in and maybe getting her in, but we don't protect Lauren Underwood at home, right? Or you know. Uh, or what if we do everything we could and we could potentially pick up the 13th district, which has been Republican forever, but if we don't pick that up. So I hope that Democrats um, will do what they can to support the bright, shiny objects, but don't put so much time and resources. I'm talking about individuals, not the parties, right? I'm talking about the rank and file, the grassroots. I don't want them putting so much time and effort into bright, shiny objects that they are neglecting some gimmies at home or some stuff that we just kind of assume would happen, but because we put so much energy and effort in trying to, um, you know, think about it. I'm so glad Jamie Harrison raised a shit ton of money, but could someone yeah. else have done better? He, you know, remember how he was getting a gaudy amount of money, right? Could we have taken a couple of million off of Jamie's haul and might that have picked up a congressional seat elsewhere, right? Um, that's what I just thought. You know, I, I want us to really support people throughout the country. You know, do not be afraid to give. But rather than giving 20 to Jamie Harrison, give 10 to him and 10 to your local candidate. You know, I mean, that's just what I hope really happens. You know, give Val your money, but make sure that you also are giving your local people half of what you gave Val. Yeah, I, I agree. You brought up Jamie's name. I wasn't going to use Jamie's name because I thought that that was a winnable race. The name I'll use is McGrath and, and, and for McConnell's seat. Like, 
she was she never really got close. She never was like it was he was always up up 15, 16, 17 points the entire time. She also got a gaudy amount of money, a gaudy amount of, of support from from high end Dems. Um, I, I agree. We need we. I, that's why I hope Jamie kind of he's running the the, the uh, he's running the the chair now. So I hope he's able to implement that and kind of get, see the winnable seats go after them. Also see the vulnerable seats that we might lose and kind of sew, sew them up. So uh, there's a lot of different chairs, a lot of different races out there, and we gotta we gotta do a good job of kind of unifying. By the way, and uh, you know when this airs, it may be over, but. Um... I want to talk to you about, uh, before we wind down, a video that was uh, floating online this weekend. Did you see the 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 Phoenix Suns fan, uh, two-piece to two guys at the Denver Nuggets game? Did you did you see this video? Fighting? Yes. Did you see it? It was... It, it, okay, I, I so, heard about it. I didn't so, see so it. So let me set the video up for you. They're, they're in Denver. There's this guy in a Phoenix Suns shirt. And these two Denver fans mess with him, and it looks like it's over, and one of the Denver fans tries to sucker punch him. He grabs that fan and holds on to him like a hockey fighter and just starts uppercutting the hell out of dude's face. His boy tries to jump in, and dude, like, swings at him and keep, holds him off and goes back to swinging on him. And something I've never seen in a stadium fight ever these guys, when they got loose, rather than continuing to fight, you know, normally security comes, they they ran out of there. But the funny thing is, as he literally is wailing on dude, he looks in the camera and holds up four fingers and says, sons and four. So on top of all this other stuff, <laughs> it's I said, I said it's worthy of an ESPY. I mean, because there's so much going on. I'll have to send you this video. It is amazing. But, uh, you know, since, since I mean, what's it feel like to have sports back and, and fans in the stands, regardless of the game? And you, you've got NHL, NBA playoffs, uh, both Chicago teams are hot. How does it feel to have sports back in in, in, swing, in the full swing? I mean, I'll tell you, I watched the bubble last year, the NBA bubble, and I thought it was a good product. The NBA did a good job of kind of addressing. There's just nothing like that. NFL playoff and NBA playoff crowd. They're, speaking of the Suns game, um, one in Phoenix. Remember, Phoenix just knocked off LeBron. They just knocked out the defending champs. They get home. They're playing Denver. They're playing the MVP, and they blow them out in game one. There's an alley-oop. I can send you that. You send me that video. I'll send you this video. There's an alley-oop to Torrey Craig, and the building just went crazy. And I just thought, like, this feels good. I know Arizona might not be uh, – I don't know if everybody was vaccinated. Let's just say that. But um, the crowd went crazy, and it's, it's just – I'm glad. I'm glad that we're able to have these moments again. I hope nothing comes of it. I hope a lot of these numbers that are nationwide stay down. But there's nothing like it. It's just the magic of sports, and it comes with that crowd. It's, it, it, Trey Young shushing the New York Knicks crowd. Like, there's nothing like it. And, and, you know, realistically, we could very well be looking at a Subway Series here in Chicago. Uh, we, we, we got good baseball on both sides of town. And you know what's so funny? We'll I'm gonna, you know what's so funny? And I know you weren't a fan. I actually liked your uniforms, but I like my uniforms. Maybe it's maybe it's the bougie in me, where I just thought ours was a little bit too hood. I, I thought ours were a little, uh, a little bit too Compton circa 1992. 
uh, you know, uh, but I, I actually, I actually like the Cubs. You like the White Sox city jerseys, whatever. I actually like the Cubs, the Cubs stuff better. I, so I think that's funny. The, the Cubs ones, the leak, the leak didn't do it justice. They were better than the leak suggested, uh, but um, I just wanted something cooler. That's all. It was fine, <laughs> but it it was just boring. Is all. Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, I just you know the the White Sox. The, I just felt that they were a little too. Boys in the Hood, circa you know, circa early '90s, you know, in in Compton, that just that just it didn't didn't do it for me. So, on that note, this is John signing <laughs> off. This is Friday signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh-huh.